Okay, Miriam, this is it. The last episode. The last episode, but it is a last and a first. Ah, yes. This is our last episode of the series, but the first in which we are recording in person. As our listeners may remember from season one, this podcast was really born from the pandemic. It was the summer of 2020 to set the scene, and Christy and I knew we would not be traveling to meet prospective students that fall, so we came up with this podcast as a new way to reach out to you, applicants. Now it's 2022, and over the course of the past three seasons, we hope that we've achieved our goal of bringing candid accurate, and straightforward advice to applicants, direct from the people who read your applications. But we have never recorded in person until today. Here we are in the Yale Broadcast Studio in New Haven, Connecticut, with our amazing producer, Ryan. Ryan and I have exchanged an untold number of emails over the years, and he's probably spent hours and hours listening to my voice, but this is our first time meeting in person. We asked Ryan when we walked in if we looked like our voices, and he said, well, you actually look like your cartoons. <laughs> and so I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> He's like, I I've been stuck looking at your cartoon every day when I upload it on Spotify. All right, Ryan, any chance we can get you to introduce yourself to our listeners if we asked exceptionally nicely? Let's see. Does my microphone work? Yes, it does. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> Hi, Miriam. Hi, Christy. Hi, listeners. Ryan, we really couldn't have done this without your expert assistance, so we say an enormous thank you to you for everything you've done uh, over many years of hard work, so thank you. Oh, of course, and thank you for giving me good content to edit, which uh, is sometimes rare. Oh, Aww. you flatter us, <laughs> <laughs> which we love, by the way. <laughs> it is time now for our series finale game, Warning for Our Listeners. This one will be deeply nostalgic and self-referential, maybe in a charming way, maybe in an insufferable way. It remains to be seen. I sometimes say that bad personal statements are all about I, 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 but this podcast episode, I think is going to have a little bit of that. So we both apologize in advance, but we're going to just roll with it. Yes, it's, it's like we're going to roll with it, and it's the ultimate log rolling episode. <laughs> like, That's right. Just going to keep on log rolling. Okay, here's the game. It is a classic categories game, and it will be all about our podcast. We will pick a category and then discuss. Okay, so I'm going to start with a really easy one, Christy. So what has been your favorite episode of the podcast so far? And you cannot pick the one with our students because that would be, I think, both of our favorites. So it's not fair. Off the table. Okay. All right. Setting that one aside, my favorite episode is What, what Was That? with Kristen Thies Alvarez. Oh, yeah, that's one of my top favorites, too. That's probably my second favorite. I am going with the Reddit edit. Ooh, that's a good one, too. That was so fun to write and I think necessary. And I, I thought it was really funny. And I don't know what listeners thought, but I thought that one was really fun. Okay, the flip side. What is your least favorite episode? Uh, that one's harder. Um, I'm going to go with the Q&A. I always find those are kind of like meh. Like it, the, the questions don't really connect to each other, even though we do our best, and they always feels a little bit random to me. What about you? Uh, so I was going to pick the Q&A episode specifically from season two. Oh, I was going to pick the one from season one. Interesting. It, it's interesting that we both kind of had the same vibe, that the Q&A ones like never quite gelled. No, it's why we didn't try it for season why three. Why we didn't try, why we decided to do this instead for season three. Okay, so what episode exceeded your expectations the most? So this is all the way back from season one. So 
with the caveat that perhaps my expectations just weren't set because we we were so new to it. I thought the letters of recommendation episode was much stronger than I thought it would be when we went in and started drafting it. There was there was a lot to say, and I I worried that it was going to be very dry, and it I think it, it turned out up, well. Yeah, it ended up being more interesting than we thought. I was really worried about the episode we uh, we did with Eulis. I think it was a series of episodes mm-hmm. when we reviewed actual personal statements. Getting personal with personal Getting statements. Getting person, personal with personal statements. And I actually thought that was very helpful and turned out really well. And I think Eulis is fabulous. And Eulis, for those who haven't listened to this, he's the dean of admissions at Brooklyn Law School. And I thought he just had great insights and advice. And I thought that was really fun and exceeded my expectations for one I was worried about. Those were awesome. Yeah, all right. I I refer to those a lot. Okay, next category. A topic you wish we had discussed or discussed more on the podcast. So this is one that we talked about doing, and part of me wishes we had pulled it together to do it. So just the way we talked about, we did the personal statements with Ulysses, we talked about doing something similar with other parts of the application, looking at actual resumes, for example, or maybe actual diversity statements, and we just never quite got there to do it. I think that would have been really helpful to review actual applications or actual application components more because I think it's really helpful for listeners to be able to see the real thing and then hear admissions folks talk through it. So I I wish we had done that a little bit more. My answer to this category is optional statements slash diversity statements. So throughout the series, we discuss them, but we're often discussing them relative to personal statements, right? Right, So big discussion on personal statements and then a little bit as an aside. And I think they, I'm not sure if a full episode would have been the right treatment, but maybe something like the Getting Personal with Personal Statements series where we were looking at actual ones. Um, Because they're they're tough. They're really tough tough to write. And the good ones are amazing. And the ones that aren't good can be a real drag on the application. And they're also so different from personal statements because you're, I think pretty much every law school, you are required to submit a personal statement. Exactly. Whereas optional slash diversity statements on top of the what should I write about, there's a threshold question of should I submit one at all? Yes. And in what circumstances is it appropriate? Does it make sense? Does it add value? Yes, I agree with you. That would have been a good, I think, a good addition if we'd gotten around to doing it. Okay. Favorite guest. And this is in no way a knock on anyone who's not our favorite to the extent anyone who's a guest star is still listening. Who was your favorite guest? I have two. You touched on it already, but I was going to say Ulysses. Yeah, he was definitely up there for me. Um, and you touched on mine, Kristen Thies Alvarez, who I loved having on. And then Van Ann Bowie would be my other. And my... We, had, we had Van Ann twice. Yeah, that's right. We did have Van Ann twice. And I can think of others. Like more, pe- more names are popping into my head as I'm saying this because I really liked our guest stars. I know we thought about it at the beginning, should we have guest stars at all? And I think it was so good that we did. I'm really glad we decided to do that. If, if nothing else, then listeners didn't have to only listen to, <laughs> listen our, two to voices. our voices over and over and over again. Yes. <laughs> all right. Next category, worst technological snafu. We've had many over the years. Yes, we've had so many. And Ryan is like probably chuckling about some of them. So I have a habit of accidentally recording, not with my mic, but with my laptop microphone instead and then the quality and then Ryan very kindly emails me and says oh Miriam just a reminder please check that you're recording to the right microphone because the quality is absolutely terrible Uh, and I do check every time and then somehow I'm just so bad at tech I still manage to mess it up so I feel like my persistent microphone issues would be mine what about you many many times 
I have gotten onto Squadcast and I see you and I hear you and I'm like, can you hear me? And you can't oh God, hear me. Oh, Squadcast issues. I, yes. I block those and out. I think um, pretty much every time it's because I haven't actually turned my microphone on. The oh, whole yeah. setup is ready to go and I haven't turned it on. Okay, wait. I just thought of a technological snafu related to Squadcast. When Johan, when we had to re-record oh, the, entire God, the entire episode with Johan. with Johan. Oh, that was horrible. Because basically— He was using an incompatible browser. Yeah. Oh, that was awful. That was actually really brutal right at the beginning. We never made that mistake twice. No. No, that was awful. Yes. And I had some issues with with some of my students because usually Christy runs Squadcast, thank God. But I had to do it when I was recording my students, and I just—I've never done it before, and I'm terrible. And one student I had to re-record a whole second time because I messed it up completely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sad that I will never have to do that part of this again. Uh, that's that's the truth. Okay, best game. What what do you think was our best game? I really liked the one with the lyrics. Me too. That's what I was <laughs> going to say. Also, I was so freaked out by it because I'm not a music person, but I thought it turned out great. It was so fun. I love that one. Okay. Also, I was thinking for this question, I think there's a little bit of a recency bias. Maybe. Because it's hard for me to remember season one games. I think we had some good ones all throughout. Okay, well, let's do worst game because my worst game is from season one. Oh, what is it? Better know a Dean. Yeah. Didn't work. Didn't work. It was work. our second episode. We were trying to figure we out were what we trying, were doing. Yeah. I didn't like the one that like road trip game where you say a word and then it ends with a letter and then you have to like think of the next word. Mm. I just found it went really fast and it was, I don't know. I don't think it was great for this format. Maybe because I lost. I think I lost that game. Although I lost most of the games and I still like them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ryan, this one's for you if you're still there. We okay. hope you're, we ho- oh, good. You're still there. I'm okay. still here. What was the hardest episode to edit? That is probably Student Voices. Um, oh, yeah. Not super hard to edit. It was more that it was hard to see by the time I was done because there were <laughs> 12 students, I believe, chiming in three times each. And so by the time all of those get added in, each little file gets shrunk down every time you add another one. And so I was dealing in minuscule little files next to each other and zooming in and zooming out over and over again. Uh, I actually took a screenshot of it because it was the most information there's ever been in my audition browser at one time. Wow. Yeah. I feel like that's an honor. I remember you said something really cute afterwards where you said that all of your Ikea assembly skills came in handy oh, yeah. from that episode, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. <laughs> As you can probably already tell, today's discussion is much more freewheeling than we usually are, and maybe we'll feel a little bit more like hearing us talk on the phone, which we do pretty regularly, usually late at night, um, often with glasses of wine um, between Connecticut and Cambridge. And actually, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Christy. Um, I wanted to say this, A, for being such a good friend. I feel so lucky to have you in my life. And a huge thank you specifically for today for driving all the way down to New Haven. And we're going to go out for dinner tonight, and we're probably going to make my husband pick us up. Hopefully we'll we'll not be able to drive ourselves home. And then we're going to have an adult sleepover and have breakfast together. And I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. So Me thank too. you, Christy. Oh, you are very welcome. Um, you, you know, when you were saying about describing us talking from Connecticut and Cambridge, I was thinking maybe there's some listeners out there who have, like, <laughs> tapped our phones sure to get that. And they're like, oh, I've heard this all before. This is just like listening to them late at night. <laughs> That's exactly what this is. All right. So we've set this up just usually we script these episodes actually quite a lot. Uh, but this one we didn't. So we set up just a few question prompts. And we're just going to try this out and chat and see where it goes. So we'll give it a try. Our first set of question prompts has to do with the admissions process. So, Miriam, I'll just open with you. 
Is there a secret to getting into law school? Or put differently, what are the secrets to law school admissions? Yes, there is a secret book hidden in my office with some magic words. And if you say them, you will be admitted to Yale Law School. No, obviously that is not the case. But I do think that there are patterns to success. Uh, And I think that they do not involve, as I think many applicants think, from what I can tell, they're not numbers-focused patterns. I think the the quote-unquote numbers are definitely an important component, but I think they're much less important. They're, They're almost... Necessary but not sufficient in a way. So I think having strong a strong academic background that you can demonstrate through you know your your transcripts, through your your test scores, through your letters of recommendation, through your writing, is necessary, but it's just not sufficient. I think people who tend to be the most successful are people who are passionate, who have a story, who can tell that story in a way that really gels, that gets us excited about them, um, that has us rooting for them, uh, and that makes us able to imagine them in our classroom, in our community. And that, that to me is sort of like the magic fairy dust of law school applicants, is when people just feel like real people mm-hmm. with passions and interests and stories and, uh, you know, you can envision them um, as who they are, um, sort of in all of their humanness. And that's so much more important than, you know, just numbers. I, I don't know if that, if I'm, ex- I don't think no, I'm expressing absolutely. it so well, but that's how I think about it. The first thing that popped into my head for this question is about the concept of standing out which you hear about all the time. I hate that. I hate when people try to stand ask. I get asked that all the time and I Right, how do I stand out? And it comes, I think people aren't, I think when they say stand out, they're not necessarily thinking, how can I look different than every other applicant you have seen before, but more how, like, how can I pop? How can I get your attention? And I always say, and it's, it's like every year that goes by, it gets more and more true. Do not stand out. Everything that has stood out to me over the years is in a pretty negative way. Every once in a while, you'll get some personal statement that just burns into your brain because it's so beautifully written and you'll remember it forever. But when Whenever someone has stood out, it's for the bad things, right? It's the things that are memorable or negative. I've started to use this cliche, don't try to hit the home run, try to hit consistent singles. What stands out to me is when everything is just tight. When, you know, there's no typos, um, when someone follows the instructions, when they're presenting the best version of themselves, where it's professional, that's what stands out to me now because it's just right instead of someone trying to do something fancy or special or unique or different. There's no need to do that. This is professional school. It should be functional. And I think that stand out, that desire to stand out is the wrong one and is not the magic secret to get into law school. I'll, uh, Ryan will have to put a beep function on this, but the personal statement that stood out to me the most last year opened up with, knock, knock, open up for an asshole. And it just has stood what? out. It really has stood out. It stood out. It stood out. It'll be in my brain forever. Living rent free. And that person was not admitted, let me guess, to Harvard Law School. No. No. Certainly not. Certainly not. But they stood out. <laughs> they, oh, they stood out. They sure did. Okay, I've, I have two questions related to the undergraduate years. So okay. real talk, what is your advice on choosing a college major? I have very strong feelings about this, and I will answer this generally. If you come and ask me what should be my major, what extracurricular should I do, what should I do during my summers, I'm always going to say the same thing. I am not the right person to ask. You have four years of college. Those are precious years. Uh, You will never get them back. 
Um, if you are lucky enough to have the privilege to be able to use that time in the way that you want, if you're not encumbered by family, by personal responsibilities, by financial responsibilities, you should do exactly what you want to do with that time. You should choose the major that you're excited about, uh, that with classes that, you know, when you're flipping through that college catalog, I can remember doing this in college where I was just like, oh, I want to take that and that and that. Those are the classes you should be taking. Not worried about the easy A's or juicing your GPA or what college, what law school admissions folks want to see. Same thing with the summers. Same thing with extracurriculars. It's the things you want to do. This is a once-in-a-lifetime part of your life. You will never get it back. Okay, another sort of real talk. What's your honest answer to this question? Is there a disadvantage to applying to law school as a college senior? You answer this one. I've talked so much. Okay. All right. So... I thought this is a, this is a topic where my answer I think has changed over the years. When I first began in law school admissions, I thought there really was a disadvantage. And now that I've done it over the years, I'm like, no, a strong college senior application is a strong college senior application. Yes. And I think there's also people with years and years of work experience whose applications are not very strong and it doesn't make them stronger because they've lived more years on earth and done any particular job, right? And I think strong strong apps are just strong apps. And a lot of times the years you have after college will allow you to think more critically about why you want to go to law school and what you want to do there in a way that really comes through right. in your application. So perhaps there's some correlative effect. But I, I really feel comfortable now that I'm going to my fifth year of being like, no. Like if you are know you want to go to law school directly from college and you've got great reasons for doing so, go for it. I'm going to say two things in response to that, because you talked about sort of different applicants, mm -hmm. and I think that's completely true. Strong applicants are strong. Less strong applicants are less strong. I think if you look at the same applicant, so a strong applicant is going to likely get stronger as yes. time progresses. Agreed. So if you're strong but not quite there when you're a senior in college and then you get two years of great work experience, you're going to almost certainly be stronger. So I, I think for the same person, that extra time can add value for them um, from, a, from being a stronger applicant. And, and so sometimes it can help for some people, but I, I, same answer to what major should I be. If you want to apply to law school as a senior, you should. That's your life, your choice. You know, mm -hmm. you should not be thinking about what we're going to want to see. The one thing, and I say this based on my own personal experience of having gone straight through, I think I would have benefited from taking that time in part because I think I would have gotten work experience, which would have helped me understand better the kinds of workplaces I liked and didn't like, the kinds of employers that I would have most enjoyed working for after law school in a way that it would have helped me tailor my law school goals better. And so mm -hmm. I think for some people, if you're 100% sure what you want to do, maybe you don't need that seasoning, that, you know, exploration phase. I think for some people they do. And since I was one of them, I think that would have been really helpful for me. And so I think it's good to think about that, too, whether that would be helpful for you to help you understand better what you want to do after law school. Okay. This next part will be sort of like a game in as okay. few words as possible. What is your advice for... And we'll start with letters of recommendation, as few words as possible. Okay, I'm going to do this one, but I'm going to make you do the next one. We should flip-flop. Okay, all right, letters of rec. Pick the right person, and for that you should trust your gut. They should be detailed, specific with examples. Some no-nos are course descriptions, discussion of extracurriculars, work experience, anything they don't have personal knowledge of. Comparisons are super helpful, but only if they are real. 
not everyone is first. Not everyone is top student. What would you add? I would have I would have said choose wisely. Yes. I would have gone that was much words. more succinct. <laughs> yeah. Trust your gut. If you're getting hinky vibes, just move away. Okay. Okay. Resumes. What's your most succinct advice? I, I know. Which, I'll just say one page. <laughs> that would be a Christie. <laughs> no, it's going to go one word. Consistency. <laughs> consistency. That's where people get most tripped up, in my view, on resumes is just the consistency in the formatting. I was going to say edit, edit, edit. Oh, yeah. Edit. Edit, edit, edit. Yeah. Personal statements. Professional. Authentic. Authentic. Okay, finally, addenda. Minimalize. <laughs> um, straightforward and concise. Yes. Use your best judgment. As with all things, use your best judgment. Yep. Okay, this is, this is kind of like an inside the black box question. Okay. How hard is it really to make admissions decisions? Do you find yourself doubting the decisions you made or second-guessing yourself? That's a really good question. I, I, in some ways, it's easy. Most of the decisions are easy. Ones when you're really, when you trust your gut, they're easy. Um, Cordell Falk, who used to be the dean of admissions at UVA and who I know through random ways, when I took this job before I started, he said to me, you have to trust your gut. They hired you because of your judgment. And at the end of the day, you have to trust your judgment. Just remember that. And that really stuck with me. And I think that that's the case. But I also think, you know, some decisions are easier than others. It's important for me that I constantly vet my own judgment and compare it to others on people on my team who I trust to make sure that I'm remaining free from bias, that I am remaining calibrated, that I am being fair and equitable in all ways that I can be. It's a little bit like when I taught legal research and writing, I thought it would be extremely hard to grade and that it would be hard to distinguish the highest quality work from, you know, the middle quality work from the lowest quality work. And it wasn't. It was very hard. It was very easy to give those grades at the end of the day when you're being thoughtful and taking your time with it. I'd say I am. I completely agree. And it's easier. It's, it's harder than I thought it would be in some respects, but it's also easier. Yeah. Than I thought. And I think it comes down to exactly what you just described. The the strongest applications really do rise in a way that's not rocket science. Yes. Yes. It's not numbers-based. It's not. It's really not. Yeah. I would say in terms of second-guessing myself, rarely, but when I do, it lingers for years. Yes. Years. Yes. There's some that you I can still remember, too, where you're like, oh, like, and often it's when I didn't trust my gut, honestly. Oh, especially with people you've admitted. Yes. 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 I, and then sometimes people you didn't admit. Um, I mean, sometimes I'll just be like driving in my car or unloading the dishwasher right. or just doing some very, very routine thing. And someone will pop, an applicant from a past cycle will pop in my brain and I'll wonder, you know, sh I had really wanted to take that person off the wait list and I went with this other person instead. But I don't know. They linger. They linger. Yeah. They do. Because I think we both take this seriously and want to get it right. And, you know, it, it feels like a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it does. Okay. How often do applicants surprise you? In other words, how often is it that you meet the actual person behind the paper and they're very, very different than what you imagined? Rarely, but when it happens, it can be really striking. 
I, so sometimes you just someone comes across as so it's, it's more often this when someone comes across as so nice and amazing and wonderful and then you meet them and you're like oh eep like whoops you know <laughs> and you feel kind of fooled it's rarely the other way because like you know I assume that everyone I admit I think everyone I admit is amazing and you know but then when someone is like rude to someone on my team or I hear from a faculty member then an admit was unpleasant to them I, I'm always so stunned by that because I, I have so much optimism about everybody I admit. And it, it's just every time it's just like a, a knife to the heart, honestly. Um, that happens really rarely, but it definitely happens. So, yeah, a few times a year that, that happens. I don't know about you. It, that's the most common thing where I'm surprised by someone I admit. So after you pilot your interview program this year, yeah. I'd be curious to hear um, your impressions because for us, we meet, I'm going to put that kind of in air quotes, we meet all of the applicants before admitting them, but it's a 15 to 20 minute right, Zoom right. session and it, you know, interviews are not like, re yeah, yeah, there's yeah. an artifice to an interview yes, on both sides. Yes. I would say the two categories of surprises that pop out to me um, that I've noticed over the years, one is that Oftentimes, people are much more dynamic and engaged than I thought they would be based on their application materials. Interesting. I, that has happened to me a number of times. And I don't think I see it quite as often in the applicant or admit stages. It's more when I run into them years later as a 2L and a 3L, right. and I see their level of engagement in the community. And it's it's above and beyond what I would have yes. expected. I will say sometimes I'm surprised by how tall people are. I'm yeah. very short. And so sometimes <laughs> I meet people and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're so tall. <laughs> Just for whatever reason. I don't know why that perpetually surprises me by what a shrimp I am and that I have to, like, crane my neck to look at some of my admins. <laughs> and then the second category of surprises is sometimes people are much less strident in their opinions than they come across in their application. And I think partly that can be because they're – Applicants sometimes feel a pressure to present themselves as really, really cohesive or um, very clear in their mission for their law degree. And it can come across as just like a very, very strong, like, oh, this person's going to be here and be a super national security type, or this person is going right, to right, like right. be all immigration all the time. Um, or this person is just ultra opinionated about this set of topics based on their essays. And then sometimes when they come to law school, they're exactly that way. And other times they really push themselves to experiment a lot more than I anticipated. Yeah. And that's very. Yeah, that's that's, in, that's interesting. I do think that I've stopped being surprised when students change their mind about what they're interested in. Yeah. Because it's so common that that to me is no longer a surprise. Yeah. If that makes sense. But at the beginning, that surprised me more. When I was yeah. like, what do you mean you're going to a law firm, but you were like 100% all in on XYZ public interest. I also have started to learn that careers are really long and that may just be a brief stop and, and that they're changing their mind, but they're, they very well may change it again. Okay. Now, bringing yourself back to all those years ago. It feels like 100 years, even though it really was. <laughs> it's because of the COVID years. <laughs> the COVID years, right. What is something you assumed about law school admissions when you started this role that actually isn't true? Oh, gosh. What did I assume about law school admissions? I can answer first. Okay, you answer first, yeah, while I ponder. I thought the LSAT was much more important than it is. I thought test scores were oh, much more pivotal. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess I'll say that in hindsight, I think that's right. I'll, I'll say it slightly differently. I think 
as I was surprised by how easy it was to grade, I am similarly, in hindsight, surprised that these decisions make sense. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, we make very hard decisions. There are many people we could admit who would be wonderful in our student body. But when we're making admissions decisions, there's real reasons behind them. We're admitting people for very serious reasons. Our faculty is making very reasonable decisions about what to do, and it makes sense. And it's not driven by numbers, as Christy said, um, or exclusively by numbers. It's for really good holistic reasons. And I, I, that was very hard to see from the outside when you're not seeing, like, how the sausage is made, like, on the back end. The other thing maybe that surprised me is I think YLS has like sort of this black box of like what's really going on behind the scenes? Why are we releasing decisions now? And what there's a reason for everything. And now that I see the reasons, it all makes perfect sense to me. And of course, like I can't, there's only so much I can say about it publicly. But there is, I can I can say firmly that there's a reason for all the weird, bizarre things that we do. Um, it's not being done for no reason. So yeah, the, 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 there is a sausage being made in a very intentional way inside the walls of 127 Wall Street. <laughs> okay, now it's my turn to ask the questions. And you get now you have to go first most of the time. Phew. Thank goodness. Okay. So we've talked about this before. This is my favorite question perhaps of the day. But what are your pet peeve or feel free to say pet peeves from applicants specifically? Thing one, when people Email our front desk with questions that are easily answerable on the website. <sighs> I'm, I, we're we're um, waiting to hire a new coordinator position, and so each of us on the team has been taking turns answering front desk emails. So maybe this is just really top of mind. Um, How can I get a fee waiver? Like, there's a form on the website. Please just Google HLS please. fee waiver. It's right there. Please pops right up. Very just first thing. Just Google it. And um, I mean, I I don't know why it drives me so it nutty. Drives me I think crazy it's because too. I think it's because the amount of I see from my perspective as the leader of the team the amount of resources and energy yeah. that goes into responding to all of these questions. And then two, because it's like I've we've tried to put a lot of thought into building a website right. where you don't need to email and ask us this. Also, it's so easy just to Google it. You took the time to Google our email address which is just as easy to find, or frankly, it's actually a little bit harder to find than the fee waiver form. So why didn't you just Google Yale Law School fee waiver instead of Yale Law School admissions email address? It's, I find it, I agree with you, that is an absolute applicant pet peeve. You know what's another one? This one isn't even a pet peeve, but I'm just going to say it because it popped into my mind, and that's really what we're doing today. <laughs> when someone asks you for your advice, so they'll be like, so I want to write my 250-word essay, and I'm thinking about doing this. And you're like, yeah, I actually think that's not within the contours of the prompt. And they're like, well, but what about if I did it? And I'm like, okay, I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. It's your application. But again, I think that is outside the instructions. Okay, but what if I framed it this way? I'm like, again, I think that's a no. And I just <laughs> refuse to listen. I'm like, why are you asking me? Like, you clearly want to do this thing. Like, go right ahead. But I am the one reading your application, and I'm telling you not to do it. So, you know, what's the point of us even being engaged in this discussion? Like, you want my sign-off on something I'm not going to sign off on? <laughs> and it just feels so ridiculous. I've had that experience, too, where every once in a while I'll have these conversations. I'll be like, I, I really wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I, I'm telling you right now, like, no, it's your prerogative. Right. You don't, get to press submit. Don't write I a really diversity wouldn't. statement about being a triplet. Like, that's a, that's a no for me. 
you can do it, but I think that's a bad call. But go for it. As, as, as Craig in my office says, sometimes let them tell you who they are. He's like, don't try to talk them out of it too hard. It's good information. <laughs> it's true. It wouldn't be an episode if we didn't have a Craig shout out. <laughs> it's actually kind of amazing how people really show themselves in the application yeah. process. They can't help it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Okay, any other applicant pet peeves? I mean, there's more. There's totally more. Okay. Let's think of one more each at least. I get – it rubs me the wrong way when applicants come across as completely self-absorbed mm -hmm. in their personal statements. And then I think to myself, is that unfair? It's called a personal statement. Right. Like we are expecting people to be personal. But there's this line, this very delicate line between personal and navel-gazing and way too many people – cross right on over to the navel-gazing okay. side. So in order to be helpful, what would you say are some of the key signs that a personal statement is too navel-gazy? Uh, every sentence has I or my or mine. Myself, yeah, in it. Like literally every sentence. Yes. Um, when there's this exaggeration of one's effort. So I'll, I'll think of a, I, this just popped into my head. This is an exact personal statement. I'm going to change the facts a little bit to be non-identifying, but I, um, there was this person who was writing about how they helped achieve a, a policy-related goal. Okay. And they wrote, I spoke to countless, um, it was like countless nonprofit leaders in the community. And I just stopped. I was like, no, you didn't. You, you didn't could. speak to countless nonprofit leaders. You probably spoke to nine right. at most. I also find that there can be a tone where everything has to have a description. So in my award-winning thesis, yes. I discussed a groundbreaking development. I'm like, we don't need the adjectival, I don't know, I don't know that word, descriptors. Let someone else describe it as groundbreaking. You shouldn't. Ooh, or on a related note of the let someone else describe, they will tell you how everyone else told them that they were the best ever. Right. In my award-winning thesis discussing groundbreaking topics in which the most senior tenured yes. professors in the department lavished praise on me. Like, I, this, I'm, yes. Listeners probably think I'm exaggerating. No, no, that's no. really how it sounds. No, that's really how it sounds. Yes. Don't do that. Listeners, they, they you've told been told. me Don't it was the it. greatest thesis they've ever read. Let them tell us that in the letters of recommendation themselves. The room filled with their tears of joy. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Okay, so that's a clear pet peeve. This is not even a pet peeve. This is sort of like a post-COVID reaction. When I am now back to in-person events, barely, I don't want to shake people's hands anymore. No. I, do, I, I always I, tell people, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do an elbow bump. I, I just have started shoving my hands in my pockets and... When they when they accidentally come out, this is no one's fault. Like I don't blame everyone. It's such a human. It's reflexive. It's reflexive, and I totally get it. But please, like no no handshaking. I just it, I just am not comfortable with that quite yet. So that's just like a please, listeners, don't try to shake my hand. Don't when you when there's like the scrum after the event. Totally cool, but no handshaking. Uh, and then I just had one other. Oh, I think it's important, and this is a life advice, not just an admissions advice. You should always address people using a title the first time you email, and you should let them tell you when it's okay to move to a more personal form of address. I hear this from faculty members, too, that they are always surprised by the lack of formality, and it is a form of professionalism to address people with a dear professor so-and-so, dear dean so-and-so, whatever. 
Um, I think that this is especially true for women and people I of color, agree. that they end up getting treated with uh, less respect than um, than men tend to, um, especially um you know, white men. And I think it's really important that you do that. I don't actually personally care if people use my first name. So it always feels awkward to me to like ask for it. But I think it's an important practice that everyone should be using it in their professional lives. It's good to practice it for law school. Yes. Let Miriam say, oh, you can call me Miriam. Right. Or if I sign an email, you know, all the best, Miriam. That is the signal you can call me Miriam. But you shouldn't be writing me, hey, Miriam. I think I've said this before on this podcast, but I just repeat it because it feels like a generational thing. And I think it is important, an important professional practice. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about applicants. What about our lovely, amazing admitted students? So what are the things they do that just like a rag on your last nerve, Christy? <laughs> oh, I we mean, love you, admits, but sometimes you make us crazy. Mostly it's fine. Um, but some admits don't always have the a realization that while they're thinking about law school and where they should go every hour of every day, my team and I do try to clock out of work. Right. Right. So I've had a lot of admitted students like, oh, I'm working during the day. So could we speak on the phone at 9 p.m. at night? And I'm like, well, no, because I work during the day. Right. And I no. <laughs> I'll just say like in general, this is more like life, not just admissions. Like some, your failure to plan is not someone else's emergency. So if you decide, you know, on a Thursday afternoon that you want to come visit New Haven and the Yale campus on Friday morning because, you know, something in your schedule changed last minute, like that's great. You can do that. But that is not – cannot become like our team's emergency that we then have to scramble like late in the day on Thursday trying to arrange students to give you a tour, faculty members whose offices you can visit, classes that you can sit in on because that's now like an urgent emergency that's going to – really burn the team. And if we, if we do that for you, we'd have to do it for, you know, hundreds of other admitted students if they wanted it. And that's just not possible. And so I think it's really important to be just reflective on the fact that there's hundreds of you and only four or five or six or seven admissions staff members. And would what you're asking for be sustainable if 200 other people asked for it? I also don't like the, um, the demands to speak to famous people. It gets really oh. old. Just stop. No. It makes you feel used. It, yeah. It feels like icky. It's fine to say I am really interested in X field. I'd really like to speak to someone who shares those interests and let us find someone. We all have amazing alumni. Both of us have amazing alums. But to ask for like two or three people, all of whom just happen to be like people who whose names everyone would recognize feels really icky. Yeah. And then a final thing is um, I – Really don't like it when admitted students try to ask me to compare HLS to other yeah. schools and give them the hard sell. Like, I'm not going to give you the hard sell. If you want to come to Harvard, come to Harvard. If you want to go somewhere else, go somewhere else. Yep. But I'm not a dancing monkey who's going to like. Right. I'm not going to. I don't want to talk badly about any. There's lots of amazing law schools and I don't. I, I feel gross saying bad things about any of them. Like, I just won't do it. And I tell my team the same thing. Like, we're not there to – I resist it for applicants too. And they're like, you know, tell me what makes Yale unique or, you know – and I always say, I have been to one law school. I work at one law school. I can talk about us. Like, I can't compare because I don't – to do so would be, would be just based on what? What can I compare? Yeah. 
Yeah, it always feels. I I get sucked into it once in a while because you get like co- constantly prodded, and every time I feel dirty. I hate it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine to ask like, here's what I'm thinking about, and how does your school fit in with my yeah, larger goals? Obviously, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good natural conversations to have there, but the sort of what makes you better and why should I choose you feels right, quite or, transactional. Right, or why should I turn down this money elsewhere? And I'm like, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. There's, like, lots of good reasons to take that scholarship. You are at a really important fork in the road in your life, and this choice is yours, and I'm not here to make it for you. Right. And I also want people to feel like they've freely chosen because I think if they feel pressured or that you sold them a bill of goods, they're going to be unhappy once they're a student. Yes, and then you get to see them for three years. Exactly. As you can tell, we had a lot to say to each other when we finally got together in person. So... To spare your ears, we are breaking this series finale into two parts. Look out for part two of our somewhat rambling, but hopefully fun discussion soon. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Ryan McAvoy from the Yale Broadcast Studio.